Visible is a wireless carrier that is not invisible. It is pretty clear from the name, actually, radio waves are invisible. And I can say this with authority as a licensed amateur radio operator. That being said, Visible won't be giving you the power to see light outside the visible spectrum. It's actually way better because having that ability would make getting around very difficult and distracting. What you do get with Visible is unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. You get one line of wireless, just $25 a month, which is great in these times of economic uncertainty. That is one line for $25, taxes and fees included. So whatever you're doing at this moment, please stop. Switch immediately. Now, monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Nintendo! Welcome to Nintendo Voice Chat for the week of July 23rd, 2015. Woo. I am your host, Jose Otero, and this is IGN's Nintendo Podcast with a very special episode from the Far East over here at 8-4 Towers, 8-4's localization company. And joining me on the podcast is John Riccardi. Hello. Mark McDonald, returning guest. This is the sound of my voice. <laughs> and J.J. Epperson. Hi, guys. How's it going? All right, guys. So tell uh, the listeners, uh, Mark, you've been on the show before, but let's just explain once again, maybe for people who are new to the show, yep. what is 8.4? Uh, so 8.4 is a company out of Tokyo, Japan, mm-hmm. Shibuya, to be a little more exact. And we do... Can I curse on this podcast? No. I prefer you didn't. Okay. <laughs> we do cool stuff um, in the game industry between uh, Japan and the West. So a lot of that is uh, is localization, um, which is what we call translation. This is super special. Yeah. Um, and, and we do uh, all, all of our work is only in video games, but we do... Uh, sometimes we'll do Japanese games into English. Sometimes That's we'll right. do English games into Japanese. Mm-hmm. We do do other stuff. Um, we do a lot of consulting. We ran my um, number nine Kickstarter. We mm-hmm. do we set up uh, talks for people who come to things like GDC with Japanese speakers. We set up interviews for guys like you sometimes when you come to Japan. Um, we do lots of other little odds and ends. Some things we can talk about. Some things we can't. But. Sure. Um, but yeah, basically anything that involves uh, Japan and the West and uh, in video games, we are uh, are part of it. Some recent things uh, your listeners might know us for is uh, Fire Emblem Awakening. Mm-hmm. We localize that. Um, let's see what else. Gor- uh, Glory of Heracles, I know, is huge um, <laughs> smash hit in uh, in America. But we actually really did have fun. A lot on of that good one. changes in the American version of that one. All right, I we thought did the so. Multi million-selling fossil fighters frontier. That too. Just around the bend. And we wrote that amazing song. Uh, Monster Hunter 
for yep. and try. Uh, yes. We work on a bunch of the Monster Hunter games um, that uh, that listeners might have listened to. So, um, yeah, you can check out our website, 8-4.jp, and see a full list. But but basically, um, we've been doing this for a long time. John and uh, are the other partner here, Hiroko, who just had a baby. Whoa. Yay, that's right. Congratulations. You're hearing it here first, uh, probably, if you put yeah. this up faster than us tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Started the company almost 10 years ago. 10 years ago. ago. Yeah, 10 you years ago. What, what wow. made you want to get into localization? I mean, you were former uh, you know, editor, porn correspondent, right? I mean, you did some work for EGM. Yeah. Uh, we just, I was in Japan and wanting to, I was really, okay, I got to Japan doing uh, media stuff, which was, you know, I've been in the media for years and years. And Gamers.com, like, rest in peace. Yes, I wrote the dot-com <laughs> bubble. Uh, okay. Floated the dot com bubble overseas right. to Japan. They paid my way here and everything, and that was all really awesome. And then that bubble burst shortly after I got here. Uh, and so I took a job with just some this little company that I had met that did like agent work and stuff, and it was kind of boring and I didn't really like it. Mm. Um, and so I just decided to try and do something that I did like, and I had an opportunity to um, work on some localization stuff, and that's kind of how it started. So had you cut ties with media when you took that job, or were you still No, I was EGM's like, international guy for years after I got here. I mean, probably through like, 2005 yeah. or something. Yeah. I still remember an awesome uh, video on 1UP that was, I believe it was you, JJ, and Hiroko buying a DS Lite the day it came out. And <laughs> you guys went to a, like, a coffee shop and were uh, sort I of oh, No, that was that, turning it was over. That it was that DS wasn't Lite. me. It was the DS Lite. But that was the D. That was D. Charlie, wasn't it? I don't know who else was there. I don't I'm remember. Sure but I do remember that really? day because uh. I remember thinking how awesome and sexy the DS Lite was because mm. it was so much nicer than the first DS, uh. which looked like a. The, the first DS was like the Volkswagen of like of you know. I mean, I'm not talking like a nice new <laughs> yeah. Volkswagen. I'm talking. About I wouldn't your, even your call it Volkswagen because like, even wagon. even the <laughs> Volkswagen Bug was better designed than that first original DS. The first original DS is the thing that they haul out years later when they're about to retire and they're like, here's a all the weird prototypes that people like cobbled together overnight it's at like, NCL. Like Volvo it was worse when they first showed it at E3. Do you remember? Like, yeah, it was, it was even. Oh, yeah. It was uglier then. Barely. I yeah, mean, it yeah. wasn't even that. I mean, that different. I mean, that thing is so goddamn ugly. It does not even look like a product that was sold. <laughs> it looks like a. <laughs> A prototype that somebody cobbled together overnight. But one thing I appreciated about that video was you each had handy cams. You were in line overnight. Injured. Like, do you remember the story? Like at all? Can I don't. I mean, it? actually, it's happened so many times that to me it's like a recurring dream. But like we we used to be. They didn't remember have, having to wait in line for Nintendo systems. Yeah, they remember? didn't really have yeah. pre-orders in Japan. Like until several years after you guys got them in the West, we were still basically lining up at, for stuff. Um, yeah, you don't really so, do that anymore, huh? No. No, if anything, now you line up for the pre-order, which is like you now right. people will announce when they're going to put stuff up for pre-order, but it's not as stressful. You're kind of <laughs> guaranteed to get one because they're going to make as many as people pre-order anyway, right? Yeah. But yeah, back then, like, you'd go out in the cold. Usually, like, stuff would launch in, like, February or December when it was, like, freezing. You'd be out in the cold from, like, 4 in the morning, 3 in the morning, waiting outside, like, a big electronic store for stuff to open. God, you miss it, don't you? And, you know, I'm not going to... I mean, it was... I'm, I'm glad I don't have to do it anymore, but it was kind of fun. Yeah. It was, it was, of course, it was fun. Because you're with the excitement. It was exciting, and you were getting that the first place in the world, right? Which usually. also, yeah, yeah usually, which yeah. also used to be a thing yeah. in Japan. And it is <laughs> not used to be not also uh, not all the time for now. And in fact, now, usually the other way. Bit, but for systems, not really. for games yeah. now. That's true. Sometimes in Nintendo, there's a couple examples recently of things that are 
are going that way. But a lot of times now, it's, I mean, sometimes it's even the other way around. Even with, you know, like some other with the Zelda or something like that, sometimes it will come out two or three days ahead in America, right? right. So, um, but, but there is a, a romance to it. And there's also like a communal, like just being out there with everybody. And you know that everybody else in line is a super crazy hardcore gamer. Yeah. I mean, those are the things that you, you won't forget. And the best thing, too, is like, you know, you, you wait all night. And then, you know, it gets close. Like, usually the stores would open up here at 10. But like on those days, they'd open up early, like 7 or 8 a.m. Mm. And you'd be getting close and like they'll start handing out tickets or something and it starts getting exciting. And then you finally get it and the first thing you do is find like the nearest cafe that you can run to to sit down and like open everything up. Right. So you, you kind of have your unboxing there. Just and that's like, what yeah. you guys out. did. You went to, it looked like a Starbucks and you guys yeah. were just filming like, oh, look at this and doing like side by side. I will say, I just floor. recently did that with the DS, new DS, the new DS. Okay, I, went oh, right. to, I went to Ikebukuro with my son mm. and we waited in a line that went all the way up the uh, it's like a seven story building <clears throat> went all the way up seven stories and went all the way back down again. We waited in line about an hour and a half. Wow! And then right afterwards, we went to McDonald's and opened it up, and we're like, "Oh my Wait, god!" What, how was he for that though? Kids usually don't. Oh, he oh, well. I mean, he was jumping off the staircases all the time, but he <laughs> he was like excited about getting a new DS. So okay. Okay. let me let me switch this around though real quick here, Jose, and ask you mm. a couple questions. Number one. That thing that you're down. drinking right now. Yeah. Why don't you describe that for your listeners and tell us what you think about it? Uh, sure, they've heard it already. Very good. Uh, if you follow Mark or John or JJ on Twitter, <coughs> or even a good friend of the show, uh, Kyle, um, it's at Mark McDee. Yes, that's right. <laughs> or at Farm Boy <laughs> Japan, or at John. What's yours? John uh, TV. John TV and uh, SPRSK. SPRSK. Um, this is an ice smoothie uh, made by Kieran, and it is. Uh, 0.5% alcohol. This is a lemon lime flavor. These are no, very... No, it's 5%, not 0.5%. Oh, it is 5%. Yeah, that's Holy right. Cow. That's why you're okay. feeling the way you're feeling right oh, now. Oh, no. <laughs> you, you got nothing on this morning on oh, okay. content when I accidentally ordered a chew high, and then she put it on the table, and I was like, maybe it's a soda. <laughs> and I drank it anyway. <laughs> nothing wrong like, with okay. that. At 9 a.m., no, something's no, wrong with that. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. <laughs> 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 little, a little buzzed at 9 a.m. But, but you see but people anyway. all the time the same way... <clears throat> Excuse me, you do in the airport with people getting a beer or a oh, Bloody true, Mary on true. the airport. Yeah, For some yeah. reason, the laws of decorum when you travel are thrown out the window. That's fine, and but I don't you drink see it, it all the time, people yeah. on the Shinkansen. <laughs> it, was, it, was just, it was awkward because I'm trying to play a game. I'm just like, man, I should not have had that Chuhai. I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway. Uh, so no, this is the frozen really form good. of yeah, Chuhai. Frozen form of the Chuhai. And no, it's, it's really good. You, you guys have, that? have talked this up on Twitter and I've been yeah. like, hmm, I need to have one of these. And yeah. by the way, you cannot find these in stores, but you open up the A4 fridge well, and there is a we try stack. endless yeah, yeah. yeah. Endless it's like a rap video stuff. over yeah. there except with, it's like a Japanese rap video so so uh, to, to describe it it's like a slurpee I've had right? the best description I've heard finally this week is it's basically Capri Sun like yeah people know at well, least our age people, alcoholic Capri, Capri Sun but it's frozen yeah. but it's, it's like a frozen it's Capri a, Sun it's a frosty yeah, yeah. It's like a frozen Capri Sun, basically, of, of, of uh, I guess it's an alcoholic beverage. But it's, it's like, like a, a lychee flavor. Chuhais yeah. are these things in Japan that are really big. They're basically like sours. They're like, you know, usually lemon flavored or grapefruit or whatever. And they're, they're tasty. They're really yeah. good. What are the flavors? There's lychee and lychee lemon. Lychee pineapple this year. Pineapple. Pineapple's yeah. a new one. And there's <laughs> lemon. Okay, so that was question number one. Okay. Question number two. Uh-oh. What the hell are you doing in Japan? Let's go. Boom. Uh, exclusive. Got, world I got, exclusive. I got nothing. <laughs> Jeff Keighley, what's up? I got nothing. I'm just oh, here. Oh, you're playing koi. Mm, you're playing koi. That's how these things go. Uh, are you going to tell people where you were in Japan? Nope. 
No. Well, okay. they know now I'm in Tokyo. Well, they know That's you were in Tokyo. Okay. Yeah. Shibuya. What, no. Interesting. And he wrote and that he, you were on the Shinkansen. That's right. Oh. So you were somewhere else as well. Yeah, maybe. Come on. Don't <laughs> put it together. You said nine o'clock this morning. Do you really want to see a tan guy turn red on this podcast? I don't think that's possible. Okay, I'm done with grilling you. Go. I would also be curious, as somebody who sometimes plays games a little bit ahead of time with people, have you been playing any? What Nintendo games have you been playing? You guys have been playing. Were you talking about Yoshi? Yoshi, yeah, yeah. Yoshi's Willy World, which came out last week in Japan. That is correct. Um, Did you I buy any Amiibos while you were here? Uh, no, I uh, got to fill a suitcase with that shit. Uh, I'm trying to find a dark uh, stuff dark pet who here is called Brakapito. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, I'm trying to find Brappy. him, um, but uh, no luck uh, for a friend. Uh, I'm not uh, buying anything for me. I got a. If you were here a couple weeks ago, you would have gotten one. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but let's talk about Yoshi, right? Yeah. So Yoshi's Woolly World, uh, which was out last week. It was also it yes. came out in Europe first. Um, surprise! Europe gets Weird. games first sometimes. That's yeah. right. Uh, and sometimes they throw them a bone. Yeah, exactly. You know. So what do you think so far, JJ? So far, I mean, uh, I like. It is, and it feels like another Yoshi game. Like it doesn't, it's not rocking the boat at all. It looks gorgeous. Uh, it's like the visuals are very creative. Mm. The music is very pleasing. Did you play Yoshi's Island, the original? Yes. Yeah, because no. when you start with no. another Yoshi game, like that game is amazing. It, that first Yoshi game, like first, like the first Yoshi game is the Yoshi only game. good Yoshi game. Yoshi's so Island. Yeah. And. Yeah. I mean, I, to be fair, I, you guys have played the final game. I haven't. I played it a bunch at E3, both E3s. I will say this one feels to me the closest to the first Yoshi game of all of them mm-hmm. so far. Yeah. As far as, like, having actual, like, you know, smartly designed levels, like, interesting play mechanics. Yeah. Me, me and Mark played a bunch of two-player stuff that's actually kind of chaotic. Yeah. Right? Um, the two-player was fun fun in a way where it was uh, unintentionally competitive like we were trying to, to help each other but actually like knocking each other oh, wow. over places and like you know how you move the screen and stuff when you're two players which ended up being fun in, mm-hmm. in, in that way mm-hmm. but it was kind of funny that we were like ended up like killing each other and that's yeah I would say that this game has like in the first world already there's some pretty creative levels like there was this one level where there's this uh, like big long piece of yarn that is like a wave, like this just wave that goes up and down and up and down, and you're just kind of like traveling along that, hmm. yeah. and you're getting stuff like that. It's 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 pretty creative. I mean, they really take that yarn motif, motif. and 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 work and it into work the, it. The yeah. We played that level at E three where like the, there's like sort of a shadow thing going on, and like it, you know, I don't know what it was. If something was like moving along the forefront of the screen, it was and like, like a cover, and it when the cover, a shadow, yeah, when, uh, yeah, they were, like, you were like silhouetted against it, right? But right. If, it, if it passed in front of a platform, the platform effectively was it disappeared or that it formed? Yeah, it, it was, was one way or the right? other. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so like you had to be behind it, like behind it, it was kind of like was like one level, and then in front of it is sort of like another level, and then like depending where you were. And that was tough to navigate with two yeah. players. But that level especially shows off something that at first seemed really easy, which is that if you hold the jump button, you sort of get a mini hover. And if you time it, you can hover like infinitely. You could just sort of let it go, start That's again, Yoshi. let it go, yeah. start again. In Yoshi's Island, you can actually, if you watch speedrunners, they can actually gain yeah, height. But that, really? Time, if you time it perfectly. Yeah, so oh, if you're wow. watching yeah. like guys like Trihex who yeah. have like incredible hand speed, right. they know how to do that stuff. But the Summer average game's person, done quick this weekend. That's right. It's oh, really? really amazing. Yep. But average Joe, I don't feel like... Uh, normally did that in Yoshi's Island. At least I know I didn't play that way. Right. I mean, I'm didn't hover at all? Didn't play. I hovered, but I didn't yeah. hover like in, indefinitely well, yeah, yeah, for as long as Well, well that's why now... Game, it's a thing that they allow you to do, but yes. I do feel like there are levels that... At first you think, well, I can hover as long as I want. Like, how is this supposed to be hard? But then you find levels where you have no ground or you have ground for a oh, wow. very limited time. Like so you literally you just, just hold yeah. the button. You don't have to keep doing it? No, you have to let it go yeah. and start okay. it again. Unless you're playing the enjoy mode where you get wings... 
Oh, and yeah. you can just float forever. Yeah, which you know is typical. Sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, basically. Well, that's that's mode. what Haruki's playing on, and he it's yeah. it's useful. So my baby. one criticism so far well, though baby. is that I, I it, it 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 is ramping up, but it is kind of a bummer to me that some of the first levels are just kind of they, they just Not feel kind challenge. of a snooze fest. Yeah, okay. and, I, and yeah. I get how platformers that's a thing, but I do acknowledge that when I play. A Mario game, especially like a 3D Mario game, um, not so much in the new Super Mario Brothers series, but I would play a level and feel really good at the end, even if it wasn't something spectacular. It, it was just something about the way that level was designed or an right. idea that they introduced that I felt really strong about, and mm. I felt like the first level of Yoshi, the first two or three, I didn't really have that. Mm-hmm. You know those, um, you know those rides at water parks. It's like the the river that you like just. You just sit in and then it like flows and you like travel along it. It kind of feels like that. Thunder River, man. I love Thunder River. It's like you sit in there and, and it just kind of takes you along for the ride. The first few levels are kind of like that and it's kind of boring. Yeah. And I, I just, I, I'm only down on that because the first couple levels is when you really want to excite somebody, right? When you right. really want them to feel like, holy cow, I hadn't done this before. I haven't and you right. Felt was right a now, the only thing said. I can say in the, in the first levels though is instead of I haven't done this before, it's wow, I haven't seen this before. And yeah. it's like, you it's see, like, when they hell. make water, it is and adorable. It's like you see these strings of yarn sort of uh, supposed to be the detail of, like, the water level or whatnot. Yeah. That strikes you as really cool. Nice. It, it is, the game is adorable. It is the cutest game totes adorbs. ever made. Totes adorbs. Yeah. Said that Amiibo to is the pretty max. totes adorbs as yeah. well. Yeah. Like, pretty mm-hmm. ridiculously, like, yes. n- nice looking, well made. I was, I was makes, impressed. Makes yeah. a great toy for a six month year old. I feel like I that, that series, you know, Yoshi's Island, the first game. I mean, it had a history to it, right? Miyamoto made that game kind of to show Rare how, how a platformer was supposed to be done. But I mean, Boom. also that, you know, CG graphics didn't necessarily, weren't necessarily the only way to make stuff look really good. But I feel mm. like the first game is like, people find it legendary, right? Like, it's mm. pretty amazing. And oh, yeah. none of the sequels have lived up. You're, you know, honestly, Yoshi's Story, which I thought was terrible at the time, it probably it is terrible. I, what, don't even finish whatever you're saying. No, no, no. <laughs> I was but say. Whatever you're about to say. <laughs> it's better than, I think, the recent ones, though. Like, where they've recently tried a couple times. Uh, there was a two on, Yoshi's Island 2 on DS, and then there was a Yoshi's Island, what was it on 3 Yes, Touch and Go. They had Touch and Go. They had New well, that, that was Island. cool. That was different. No, they touch were, and go I, I'm talking shit. about actual Yoshi's Island yeah. games. Yeah, they're on New Island, which the soundtrack. New Island was, yeah, kind of busted. Like, But this one, to me, feels like, okay, it's actually like a legit Yoshi's Island for the first time. But Yoshi's, I think. You're forgetting how bad Yoshi's story was. Yoshi's, I bet these new ones, even if I, I didn't, I haven't played them, which is surprises me because I'm a huge fan of the original Yoshi's Island. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're all made by like Artune. But well, the the I I'm, uh, I would be very surprised. I mean, they might be uninspired or whatever compared to, but not man. Yoshi's story was so for babies, yeah, yeah. like yeah. for babies, big time. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to play the new one. Partially because of the look, partially because of what we uh, tried at E3, mm-hmm. and I, I kind of have given up on. I'm assuming that I'm going to get the enjoyment out of it that I get out of like a, a 3D world, which is to me is okay. I'm not going to get the old feel from Yoshi's Island because to me that's so polished around. To me, the beauty of Yoshi's Island you only even found out when you were trying to get the red coins mm-hmm. and the and the flowers, yeah. Yeah. which it's, are in this one, which yeah. are which yeah, are in this, in this one. But it was a very much a single player kind of thing, and are it wouldn't w- even to the point where I don't think it would work if the levels even allowed for multiplayer. Mm. And of course, this one does, and so I'm now shifting my expectations on it it's like i just it want out of this i would want like a fun kind of party game yeah if i had kids like you like like jj that's absolutely like with the ami with the yarn amiibo and stuff mm-hmm. like that yes. like seems like they would be all over it so yeah got it got it so and then uh, uh are you guys playing fire emblem anybody at this table other than me 
Uh-uh. I, I played like little, an hour of it. Maybe okay. I got to first like. That's, I, I got to, well. First impressions are positive. I mean, it's kind of weird, right? We worked on the last game, so we we're like super, super familiar. The last two games, actually, mm. um, and so we're super familiar with it. But like, um, I was always a fan, even long before we got involved. So to me, just to be able to play a new Fire Emblem game on 3DS, which is where I really like it, is you know great. Mm. Uh, music is great. The gameplay is pretty much what you expect. Um, I, it's just that I feel unqualified to talk about it because the game doesn't really begin until like chapter seven ish, mm. which is basically I mean like chapter those are eight. big games, but yeah. like the game. But the thing is, it's two different. I guess the cool thing about it, and you have you talked about it much on this show? Uh, yet, or? Very, yeah, we've most of our listeners know, but you can feel free to. Well, I, I just reiterate. think the thing that's cool about it is that once you get to the split point where you choose, you know, to, to one family or the other, it essentially becomes two different games. It becomes mm. either like. Another awakening style game, where it becomes like a classic Super Nintendo Fire Emblem, That's which right. which is two pretty different games, yeah. I think. And the awakening side is the Hoshido side, whereas the North side is the more traditional classic Fire Emblem, right? Which people in the West probably aren't that used to because we haven't really had one in a long time. Mm. I mean, we had them on the GameCube, I guess, and stuff. But I mean, it, it's it's GBA. hard. It's, it's mm. challenging and it's resource strapped, and you know. And it's a really hard choice. I will say that, like the part you get to that point very early in the game where yeah. you have to choose one or the other. Yeah. And all the way there, I'm like, I'm definitely choosing this one. I'm de- no doubt, I'm choosing this one. This isn't as hyped up as they made. And then you get there, and they're both standing there. Right. And they even had this thing where they all, you see all their faces, and they're looking at you and talking to you with the voice acting. I watched and that scene, And you're scene, like, yeah. oh, man, this is really hard. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's money. money. You're, it's like a, a choice that costs money. So, like... Well, I well that's true. Depending on which version you got, yeah, I bought so there's, there's a, a lot of weight edition to that had both on it. But yeah, that's true too. Um, I I chose the the um, the uh, the Hoshido. It's called in English, right? Hoshido. Yeah, I think Hoshido the, basically, yeah. which is like not the people you grew up with, but your blood relatives. Mm-hmm. And that's I think that's just a little bit because I kind of I kind of um, I think it, it your personality will affect what you choose, right? Like personally, right. like I'm I'm into like the whole like well th- those are my that's my true family. You get to meet your real mother, you know, like those sort of things are like kind of important to me. But I yeah. think like I could totally Italian. see how you would want to choose the one that you grew up with. I mean, your little sister's like basically there, like yeah. all happy to see you, and you're like about to go against them. Yeah, and fight we them talked and about yeah. a little bit, right? That those characters on the north side are super relatable. Like you really like them. They, they're they're very likable people. Except even your father, who's a dick. Yeah, right? the, Sorry, pardon King my Ganon French. Ganon is just the worst. Right? His name is Ganon. Uh, Garen or Ganon? Oh, okay. I forget. I think it's Garen. It's not Ganon. It's no, Ganon. It's Garen. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying that would that be wrong. weird. It looks a little <laughs> like Ganon. The, the Kieran is kicking in, but um, he's I will a say, jerk though, and like he's really bad. It's kind of set up. I think. And again, none of this is really spoilery. This is all honestly like the first hour mm-hmm. of the game or something. And they've even, you know, they've showed this on the Nintendo Direct and everything. But like, yeah. you know, they, he's obviously, he's such a jerk that I almost feel like maybe they're trying to make you feel like you want to stay, the only reason you stay behind is because you want to try and like, he's clearly being possessed or controlled by someone and you want to try and fix that, save mm-hmm. him so you can make mm-hmm. peace, right? Yeah. Because otherwise, why would you want to help that guy? He's such a jerk. So he's, when you buy though the retail package of this game, are you locked into that choice of Hoshido or Nor based on the cover, or do you still get to cho- do you still get to choose? You still get to choose, right? It's just I don't know for art. sure because I got yeah. a special edition which has them both on it, okay. and that's the rare one. That was like the the one that came with the art book and all this other yeah. junk. But I think you if you buy one or the other, I think it's just the one that you yeah. bought. So basically. I downloaded it and then and then you have the option to get the, the other one, but you have to pay the twenty dollars. And it came it out after the game came out, maybe a week or so after they put out. I think the path that they called it is the Invisible Kingdom, and you basically don't third choose one. either side. The third the third story of this thing um so that i i just i like the approach a lot i still think 
for at least people in the West, they have to sort of show and prove to some of them that these mm. are three separate campaigns, and that's mm. why, you know, if they decide to stick with this, we're charging separately for these. That that's that that isn't a terrible thing. I just so over here, each campaign is costing an additional twenty dollars. Well, right? it does seem yeah, it seems different than like a normal Pokemon game in this respect. It's not just like new monsters or whatever. It's like yeah. almost a completely it's a different game design. To sell though, because the first six chapters are the same no matter what. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know what they're thinking. Who knows? I mean, and they might have some incentives or reasons why you would want to get both. Or who knows? Maybe they're thinking to put them all together. I mean, we yeah. don't really know. They haven't mm. announced how they're going to handle it. Well, so. there's one thing in the West that's helped them out. I feel is like the bundle pricing when they do stuff like that. They sort of show people a really good deal. Um, so that sure. is, uh, is is maybe that's going to come to their rescue on that. I'm not entirely sure, but there are a lot of people I feel in the West that are very skeptical about. Do I need to buy this? And why do I feel they feel kind of slightly cheated because it is a separated story this way? Well, I, th- well, I, I don't know about feeling cheated. If you, what I would say is buy the one that you want. And if you want to just pretend that's the only Fire Emblem game there is, I think what they've said is that game is as big as the any of the previous games. Right. So it's like, it's that thing with DLC, you know, like when DLC comes out or it's like day one DLC, it's like, well, did they hold this from the game? proper where this would have been in the game before and now i'm not getting as much game and absolutely if you feel like you're not that's a total ripoff and whatever but but if they're basically making like two and a half or three fire emblem full like fire emblem games and it's just oh i'm pissed because i want everything out there that Mm -hmm. says fire emblem on it but i just want to pay then then i think it's like well you know you gotta just check your expectations yeah Yeah. so we do have to go but i do want to ask you guys one question about has anyone messed around with my castle yet uh, only no. I mean, I I built. You know, when you get it, they kind of force you to use it for like a minute. So I put my town. I put a shop up. I have done the. That's awkward. what I want to talk about. What is up with the face touching? This is a country where no one wants you to touch them at all. <laughs> <laughs> so what? Maybe that's why they make these. Yeah, that's why they make these. This is the outlet. Finally, <laughs> touch I, uh, that face. I so you, you're Jose's referring to this feature where which I'm not super familiar with yet because I I just unlocked it, but where you basically like touch your uh, your finger party members, you, you rub them basically to increase their affection. <laughs> rub them for the affection somewhere. There's right. a spot that will show. You can rub other places too with your finger. Like, Let's just put yeah, the, remind people. Yeah. yeah. Well, what else would you be doing? suggested that you use pen. your finger? Um, this is weird. Other things might work. But different characters though respond finger. to like different speeds of touching. Like you know, you'll rub their forehead and like but and fast, and she might like it. But this other guy might like it if you rub his shoulder. She only likes slow. it on the forehead. But what With makes your it finger. weird is that so this is happening on the touch screen. The camera is sort of slowly pulling in on the face, and little hearts are starting to show up around, and little sort of effects. And you just start Japan. to wonder like, why is this here? Like I'm just really surprised to see this uh, in a game that is definitely coming to the West. Like I just wonder how localization is going to do. This. I just want to say. Yeah. Since, I mean, we're not working on the game, and we certainly don't speak for Nintendo. But like, I, there is nothing wrong in my mind if they decide to change this or remove it or whatever. Like, people get all up in arms about stuff like this getting changed. Like, it was the original intent, blah blah blah, dude. The original intent was weird. Like, it's not normal to touch a six-year-old girl, like to make her like affectionate for you or whatever. Yeah. Like, I mean, maybe there's more to it or whatever. But like, if they want to change it, and I'm, I don't know, I, I'm just responding because like a lot of people were up in arms. Well, over but you know, this. you like, could uh, say the other way around too. You could say like, well, what if they just leave it? And it's like, does it? Does it hurt anything having it? Can you just say like, okay, I'm yeah, just I not going to do it. I, yeah, I'm, I'm not even saying it. in favor of, of yeah. I'm just saying if they do, it's not a big deal. And if they don't, it's not a big deal. Or maybe they change it. I don't know. Maybe you like do something else instead of rub them. I don't know. You Who give knows? them presents. Like, yeah. You know, that's why it's called localization and different things for different markets. It makes sense that, you know, it's not, I don't think it's that like 
people should not get that up in arms. That that is not the main. You don't buy that game so you could touch your car, party members. You buy that game for a really awesome like strategy. Says you RPG <laughs> experience. <laughs> no, it is a really awesome strategy game, and I will say and it's that. good. It and is based really on what good. I played. Yeah, I love it. Um, so uh, we do have to go. Thank you very much for listening, that, guys. Thank you so much for lending us your studio. Well, you're going to stay. Your you're going to people are going to stick around for the second half, right? Yes, we and do have yes. a special guest. There's an amazing interview coming on. I yep. will be there. What is that? You want to talk about what that is? Uh, so we talked to the uh, sort of the according to the Guinness Book of World Records, the number one Mario Never collector on the planet, a uh, guy who at the time they got the award had over five thousand pieces. So we're going to talk to him. Uh, we've got a good friend of the show, Kyle, who's going to be the voice of Kikai, and that's what you're going to hear. The editing, we're going to try and do our best. We've never really done a translated interview before, so early apologies in advance. But going back to thank yous, thank you so much. And guys, uh, listeners, you should be checking out 8 for play It is by far my favorite podcast. Aww. Thank you. Yeah, thank this you. Is not because I'm going to be on it. Like this is, <laughs> I have been one. listening to that We're show since one. the first episode, and I have Thanks. to say, you guys do a great job. Thanks, man. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. So uh, stick around, and we'll be right back. Welcome back. Jose Otero here with Justin Epperson. Hi. Kyle McLean. Hi, gaming fashionista, Kyle McLean. And special guest, Kikai. Hello, everyone. As you can tell from his response, this is going to be a little different than our normal interview here, but uh, let me give you some context on Kikai. Uh, Kikai is the number one Guinness World Record holder for the biggest Mario memorabilia collection on the planet. Yes? Like, that's the award he got. Hi. Yes, that's right. All right, so uh, we we got a special treat, and we just want to pick his brain because that's something that's really special. Like I, we've talked to collectors on this show before, and it's always fun to sort of hear sort of what drives them to collect mm. things, what are some of their fun stories from collecting things. And so I'm really glad to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being here. All right, cool. So let's just kick this off then with why Mario? Why only Mario? I've heard your collection does not have a bunch of Nintendo stuff. So I really loved Super Mario when I was a kid, and uh, I just turned 30 years old. So um, this year is the 30th anniversary of Super Mario. It came out in uh, 1985, and that was the same year I was born as well. So... I'm the same age as the Super Mario franchise, and I, I grew up alongside the franchise. And my dad bought me uh, a Famicom, Nintendo Entertainment System, along with Super Mario Brothers. And as long as I can remember, I've been playing Super Mario games. And so after that, um, I received Super Mario Brothers 3, and that was really the jump off. That was the tipping point when I knew... I really wanted to play basically only Mario games from here on out. So I can't really say there was a, like a, a certain point when I realized that um, when I wanted to uh, start collecting Mario stuff because ever since as long as I can remember, Mario was right there with me. And as I grew up and I learned, you know, walk and talk, and Mario was always there alongside with me. So it was never just uh, an aha moment, but it was just like he was always there alongside me. And since I always loved Super Mario Brothers, my mom and dad used to buy me um, Super Mario Brothers merchandise. And that's when the collection started. Around how old was he? Based when I was in kindergarten. 
Okay. okay. Wow. That's quite a story. Well, I mean, if you're going to start, you got to start young. Yeah, it is true. I, but you know how it is when we're younger, right? I mean, we tear things apart. Right. We rip open the packaging. Like, did he keep these things in great shape? Uh, so this is yeah. Nice. Um, I was actually, my parents bought me, like, Super Mario Brothers, um, like, bowls and, like, silverware. And I remember I got a Super Mario Brothers, like, uh, stationary set, like, with pens and a pencil case. And I didn't want to use them at all. And I only ended up using one of the pencils I got because I wanted to keep the rest. Were his parents ever frustrated with this? They were buying him things with Mario on it, but he didn't want to use them? So I can't exactly, you know, say what my parents would have felt. But um, I know that the Super Mario pencil set, um, those pencils cost a little bit more than just normal pencils would because they had characters uh, drawn on them. And so I knew this is something special to get. And I didn't want, I felt this was a, you know, very, very nice gift. And I didn't want to use them. So speaking specifically about those pencils, that's why I really didn't want to touch any of them. Okay. Um, your father, JJ, uh, yes. and I listen to A4 Play, and I'm very aware that uh, you have Yokai Watch medals and had to deal with Yokai Watch yes. fevers. What is the condition of those medals? <laughs> those medals, so actually, Haruki is surprisingly uh, good with his toys. Like all of our games and stuff like mm-hmm. that, he will put them back in the box, put them back in the, the uh, entertainment center. Just fine. His toys are, he kind of throws them around a little bit mm-hmm. more, but those medals. So far, I still have the labels on them. Wow. Yeah, he's, he's an impressive little yeah, yeah. four-year-old. Okay, okay. So you might have on your hands this, this same... Possibly. Yeah, possibly. Possibly. You could some, have a some million dollar. Yeah, a Kikai in the making. Yeah. Um, all right, so I didn't... Uh, I don't think I gave this context at the start when we started this interview, but uh, at the time that Kikai got the Guinness World Record for the biggest Mario collection, uh, his collection had five, over 5,400 pieces at the time. And that was in, like, what year, would you say? That was in 2010. Wow. Okay, and you're still collecting, yes? Yes. Okay. okay. So then uh, let, let's, let's hear the, the rarest pieces in this collection. Like, what's the, what's the most prized possession in this giant, enormous collection you have for Mario? It's a pretty difficult question to answer. They're all very, very important to me. Hmm. So just for context for listeners, Kikai is thumbing through a book, uh, which was written about his collection. We're going to talk about it a little bit. Um, but he is showing me a gold Mario figure. A gold Mario statue, not a... Not a me, uh, an amiibo, mm. but an actual statue. Ah. So one of my most important items in my collection is a kind of a... It's an older one. It's a squat golden Mario figurine. Now, this figurine was never for sale. It was only given to stores that um, had a license to sell Nintendo products. And so this was given to them as a kind of a present. Some shops put it in window fronts or on display, and... This is never for sale. It's one of my favorite items in my collection. Sort of how big is this figure, uh, squat figure? About 30 centimeters tall. Wow. Okay. Holy cow. That is a big... How did you track that down? <laughs> so I actually went to a store that was closing and got it from them. Oh, that's I was going out of business. <laughs> Okay, well, was, it, was it expensive, or were they very willing to part with it? Like, did they know what they had? Uh, 
I really can't get explain all the details, but yeah, I got it pretty much no problem. Nice. Okay. Mm, wow. Yeah. Wow. Holy cow. If, I, if only I could have been around in Japan in like the 90s, all the stores that were closing, probably giving away all sorts of really valuable stuff like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is that a common way you were able to get a lot of this stuff? Mm. <laughs> Yeah, um, a while back, that was a method I often used was going to cl- stores that would close. But uh, when I was in high school, I finally got my first part-time job, and I had my own pocket money to spend. And that's when I really started the series, started to seriously collect Mario items. And I would go to second-hand stores, and where they have all sorts of treasures buried in there, and just dig through whatever they had, whatever I could find. Um, that, I guess that's something very special in Japan too, right? Where like if you visit um, some of the retro chains like Super Potato, you yeah. see a lot of that stuff like on the walls. You yes. see like all of it cut from like magazines, things from like oh, there was a there was a Player's Guide style book. I think it was called Mario Mania. Um, and they have I think I know uh, it. yeah pages. That was the name of it, right? And they have pages that are ripped out. So part of it is uh, sort of a I mean. I'm trying to remember, like, part of it is uh, sort of just detailing the Mario universe. Like, it has a, a page defining Luigi and that wow. he is the brother in the limelight and all that stuff. And then the other half of the book was a player's guide for Super Mario World. Huh. Yeah, yeah. So, if I remember correctly. That and is, the pa- and pages are just ripped out of it because I guess some kid was just like, fuck you, Peach. No, screw you, Peach. Well, no. Can we I, swear on this podcast? Uh, no, we normally don't. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a family show. Okay. But, uh, but we do... Um, no, I just I, I find it interesting that here they sort of play up that nostalgia. They're like very fast to put it on the walls. Yes. And it makes the place look amazing. Yeah, you know, like eight bit art all over the place. So I'm not trying to pry, but where do you keep all this stuff? So I have a house in Tokyo, and I have goods on there, and I also uh, keep some stuff at the um, house where I was born and raised at. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, does does he ever want to sort of see some of that stuff in a museum someday, or is this very much a personal collection? A dream of mine is to actually create, by some means, my own museum where I can put this stuff on display and show it to as many people as I can. JJ, let me ask you something. Are yeah. uh, museums around sort of um, cataloging video game stuff, is that at all common in Japan? I never hear it talked about. Uh, it's not very common. You can There are like some like pop-up museums that will be... Uh, you know, up and like, uh, like recently they had a Mario 30th anniversary thing at Tower Records here. It's not really a museum, but like a kind of like a little display for, you know, history and stuff like that. That kind of stuff will pop up in like restaurants and, uh, museums, some places, but there's no real dedicated video game stuff as far as I know. And is there a reason for that? Like, I think, you know, in Japan, games are still games, you know. They're not looked at as an art form just yet, like they are in America. Um, It's kind of ironically, like, they're a little bit far behind in terms of looking at games that way. And appreciation. Yeah. Interesting. All right, Kikai, what was the hardest uh, sort of thing to acquire? What are some stories of uh, items that you very much had to go through a lot to get? There's a lot of goods that aren't officially for sale. Those are pretty difficult to get a hold of. So there was one specific Mario figure that was actually used in a commercial um, that they only made six of. And I managed to get my hands on one of those. Oh, from the uh, Mario and Donkey Kong 
sort of like series. Yeah, yeah, that looks like one of the minis, uh, the Mario sort of marching minis. Yeah. So there was um for Mario vs Donkey Kong, the Game Boy Advance game, there were six figures made for the filming of this specific commercial for the game. And they were given away through a magazine campaign afterwards, and I managed to get my hands on one of those. Was it through the magazine or someone that won? I actually got it through um, uh, auctions online. Okay. (laughs) Can you say how much it cost? (laughs) All I can say is that it wasn't cheap. Okay. 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 That's fair. Um, what's the thing he had to go furthest to to sort of get or acquire or find? Like something he had to travel very far to get. I don't really think I've ever gone really exceptionally far to get anything. Um, you know, now that we have the internet, it makes getting your hands on these kind of things very, very easy. To the point where I can't really say I've gone that far to get anything. This is inclu- the, then his collection includes stuff from other territories, from the U.S. or from Europe. My collection consists of, you know, merchandise from all regions, but being in Japan, it can make getting my hands on items from other countries somewhat difficult. Um, So uh, I heard Kikai was on television on a show called TV Champions. JJ, why don't you set the table for folks? What is that show? TV Champion is a show that's no longer on the air, but it was like a... It was like a competition-based show where they would have, like, for instance, like, who was the best ramen chef in Tokyo? Mm-hmm. And they would have these ramen do- uh, chefs get on the show, make their best ramen, and then people would taste it, and then they would declare a champion. And then the next day, that guy's store would just be, like, crazy packed with people. Um, it, was a, it was a really big show at the time. So was it always competitive? Or it was always competitive, Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's why it's TV champion. Got you got to become the champion. Okay. okay. Um, but yeah, it's no longer on the air uh, anymore. But uh, okay. yeah, it was a big deal at the time. So when the TV champions approached him, and who was the unlucky, uh, the unfortunate soul who had to go against him? Um, um, somebody just emailed me out of the blue. I do have my own blog where I chronicle some of my collection, and my email address is on there. And just I got a message from somebody who works in TV asking if I wanted to appear. I don't remember exactly all the participants on the show. I do remember one of the people who I was on the show with was uh, he collected video games. Uh, he collected all sorts of games. Whereas I'm more of like merchandise. He was more of like a rare game collector. Okay. Interesting. Um, mm. Just because you would think they would try and put Mar- someone else who was collecting Mario. Yeah, I don't know. I think it was probably just like game collections, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so specific. Mm. Okay. Um, and so what did that entail? Like, did they come by and just film a lot of his collection? There was interviews, things like that? So there was a um, competition on the specific episode of TV Champion I was on was who could clear uh, Mario World, uh, Super Mario Brothers level uh, 1-1. <laughs> so that was the competition, I guess, oh, and then it, got it, got and then it, they it, would it. feature, I guess, the people who understood. Are okay, now this collecting. all makes sense. Okay, yes. <laughs> what was that experience like for him? Like, what did his parents say? Like, what? Uh, to be perfectly honest, I really don't have that many memories about that specific episode of TV Champion. So I've been on other TV shows uh, featured abroad, once uh, in France and Australia. And I remember things about that, but I can't really recall that much about the t- that specific TV Champion episode. How far back was that? So TV Champion was about five or six years ago. 
So I received the Guinness World Record in 2010, and then after that, in 2011, I was featured on an Australian news show talking about my receiving this record. And then last year, in 2014, I was on a show in a uh, French show talking about, it was like a, a documentary about the history of video games, and I was on that as a uh, Super Mario goods collector. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, in talking about these items, I guess the one question I have not asked is, are any of them signed by Miyamoto or signed by anyone that worked at Nintendo? So I do have some autograph merchandise. Um, I do have some um, Miyamoto autograph merchandise. Unfortunately, I've never directly met Mr. Miyamoto in person, but I, through uh, an acquaintance, I did receive some Miyamoto autograph. Okay. Wow. So we've got to make that happen. Nintendo, yeah. if you're listening, and I know you do sometimes. I'm kind of surprised. Like, <laughs> yeah. Come Trinan. on, Miyamoto, this guy has all the Mario toys that you've ever made, ever. Yeah, anything that ha- yeah. has had the, the name on it. Bill, come on! <laughs> you hear that, Trinan? <laughs> all right, um, yeah, why not? Uh, so then, um, wow, I just, I'm, are there any other sort of fun stories, sort of pieces in the collection that he has fond memories of, either through acquiring or something as, you know, as unique as six, only six of these were made? So... Uh, speaking recently, um, this year, 2015, is the 30th anniversary of Super Mario Brothers, and to commemorate that, they opened up three different Super Mario Brothers-themed cafes in different parts of Tokyo, and the some of the merchandise you would receive at each one of these cafes were slightly different. So if you went to a like a cafe, Mario Cafe in part city A of Tokyo, you got you know a Bowser coaster. But if you went to a different one, you might get a Luigi coaster instead. And going there was pretty interesting. I had to go to a multiple times to all of them to make sure I got everything available. Does he ever talk to the stores or to the people involved and say, hey, I'm a collector? Does that open doors for him at all? So back when I started the whole collection, back when I was in high school, and I would go into stores, and there'd be like a poster on the wall, and I'd ask the staff, can I please have that? And they would give it to me. But recently, I haven't really, you know, asked directly for information or, you know, promotional material, things like that. um, I ask because out in the West, uh, so on our show, we've had uh, uh, Stephen Lin, who is a big collector of, you know, NES and uh, other sort of video game systems. And he said on this program, like, the best advice is to tell as many people as possible that you're a collector because at least, you know, in the West, that opens a lot of doors and people will be like, oh, sure, I know who to go to when I want to get rid of this. All right, cool. All right, well, um, just if we can just plug the book then uh, Kikai's blog. So the book is called Mario uh, Goodies Collection, and uh, it was published by Pixin and Love. Is that what that? Pixin and Love. Yeah, editions. Yeah. Um, now you can find this book on Amazon. Actually, if you check it out, okay. I actually bought a copy through there. I definitely recommend uh, you checking that out. It is a tome of just everything that yeah. is in his collection. Everything's in there, at least at the time that that book was made. Yes. Um, this is like just I said previously, this book was. Wow. Does he know how much? Catalog when I got the um, Guinness World like a rough number back in 2010, and as of that time, this book consisted of maybe about 60 to 70 percent of my entire collection. Now, obviously, that's been five years and it's grown since then. So that you can find uh, Kikai's blog at uh, uh, www. 
A-SUMA, S-U-M-A dot com. You can also find Kikai on Twitter uh, at Kikai-M, so K-I-K-A-I-M. Definitely you should follow this man. It is absolutely worth your time to check out the awesome stuff. Tweets constantly about uh, sort of more of his collection and shows it off through there. Thank you so much for talking to us, man. I'm really, yeah, really, really glad. Yeah. Thank you very much for having yeah. me. Yeah, and let, let's try and uh, help Kikai meet Miyamoto. So maybe we should start mm. a hashtag or something. Yes. I think that would be worth it. Um, or just tweet at uh, our good friends at Nintendo and see. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> One of my dreams from here on out is... Um, so there's a, in America, in New York City, there's a Nintendo World Store... That I've heard about, and I've never been there. I've never been to America, and one day I'd really, really love to go there. And um, before then, I'd like to brush up on my English so I can communicate with the people there and talk about things like Super Mario. Absolutely, I hope mm. that comes true. Me too. All right. Well, thank you for listening to, to Nintendo Voice Chat. We are a podcast on IGN, but we are not the only show on IGN. In fact, Podcast Unlocked, Podcast Beyond, we have a show called Anime Club. Uh, check those out. And also, we have a bunch of videos, features, written stories, news, uh, definitely a lot of stuff. And we want to especially give an extra special thanks to our friends at 8-4-Play. That's right. And at A4, a localization company here That's in right. Japan. That's right, 8-4.jp. Yep, plug everything. And 8-4.jp, we have our own uh, Twitter at 8-4-Play. Uh, you can, can we say the site that we're on? Yeah, absolutely, okay. everything. We're on Giant Bomb, so you can find us there, or on Gaff if you're a yeah, member. definitely. And you should also be listening to 8-4-Play, my favorite video game podcast yes, on the internet. Yes, which you will be on. Oh, well, and that's not why it's my favorite. I yes. just want you to know that. It's, <laughs> it is the one show that I take the time to listen to. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. Absolutely. You guys put a, together a great show. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening. You can find my, uh, you can find JJ on Twitter, actually. At yes. S-P-R-S-K. Follow me on Instagram, Justin.Epperson. All right. And I'm you can find now. Kyle at? I'm on Twitter at Farmboy in Japan. And thank you so much for translating. I was the episode. translator for today. Yeah, yeah. Yes. The voice of Kikai. And uh, thank you again, Kikai, for coming on the program. You can find him on Twitter. Thank you yeah. very much. You can find Thank him on Twitter again at K I K A I M. Kick aim without Kick the C. Aim. There you go. Kick aim. All right. And you can find myself, Jose underscore Otero, on Twitter. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll be back next week with more Nintendo Voice Chat. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. 
Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.